a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Man, oh man. We wasted no time getting January out of the way. February's moving along quickly as well. I'm almost a little bit relieved, and I'll tell you why. Pull up a chair. Let's let's get comfortable here. You know, this year has the potential to be a pretty tumultuous one. I don't have to tell you that. The presidential race is already making it so. And just some of the weird, um, petty things that are, that are taking place. I'll give you an example. Um, an Idaho legislature, legislator... Rather, I think it was uh, was it Heather Scott was uh, was flying between her home and Boise, you know, for the uh, for the legislative session, and apparently some guy was sitting on the plane behind her. Um, he was quiet during the flight, but when the flight ended and they were getting off, this dude just <laughs> launched into her about so how's the white nationalist agenda going and stuff. And look, it's it's not that uh, hey everybody's entitled to their opinion. You can have your opinion. That's fine. But it's uh, it's crazy that people feel like, you know, it's my duty to to get in there and cause confrontation. And, of course, now he's denying it. Oh, well, I, you know, I just was having a simple conversation, just asking. People feel the need to be confrontational. And that's that's not just with politicians, but with each other. We've got this clannish thinking that has taken hold. And look, I'm not telling you that I'm not guilty of it myself. I I have to be very aware and and uh, not I, I have to I have to keep myself on a short leash. Otherwise, you know, I'll fall right into it as well. So, I wanted to start out today with a few of the reasons why we should try to be well-rounded. In fact, Paul Rosenberg wrote an essay on this some time ago about the necessity of being a well-rounded person as well as how to pull it off. And I know in a very polarized environment, that's tough to do. You have to, you have to be a peacemaker, or at least you have to be the kind of person who is willing to be misunderstood or called names and not feel like, hey, I should, I should respond in kind. You know, fire with fire. So here's how Paul Rosenberg puts it. He says, I regularly go on about the necessity of forming your own opinions and making stands upon them. But while I'm quite certain about that, there's another side to such things. He says, we are complicated creatures after all. The more we express and defend our own opinions, the more we tend to get locked into them. And that can be a problem because none of us, not even the best of us, knows enough to claim that his or her opinions are beyond questioning. So Paul says, no matter how sure we are about something, we need to leave an opening for better information to change our minds. Now he says, most often we'll only need to modify a long-held opinion, but we have to be ready to jettison anything that doesn't stand up against new information and where we hit dangers when we when we become set in our ways and we can't let things go. Now, he also points out that problem tends to get worse with age or with persecution or if we become well-known for a particular opinion. But whatever way it comes, being overly devoted, he says, is a grave problem. And the most common threat is considering yourself part of a group and being so emotionally tied to the group that you actually lack the emotional strength to disregard it. 
Oh, I know. I know. We've, we've, we've all felt that at one point or another and, and probably behaved accordingly. Paul Rosenberg says, ask anyone who left a strong, clannish religious group how hard it was, because they'll know. People who quit such groups have to face losing all their friends at once. And that takes guts. And such people deserve credit for what they did. Political, academic, or other types of groups can also become clannish and controlling in just the same ways, of course. So his point is that all such pressures are poisons. And protecting ourselves from them, in his opinion, is a duty we owe ourselves, our friends, and of course, it's a duty that we owe the truth itself. So here's how to pull off being a well-rounded person. So it's one thing to say, well, just don't allow yourself to get clannish, but making it a practical reality is something else. So here Paul Rosenberg shares three specific tools that have worked for him. And I have to say, these are pretty cool tools. Number one, he encourages us to stay warm to the opposite view. In other words, pay attention to opposing viewpoints, but not with the intent of chopping them up. Face them sympathetically. Now, that's hard to do. Even if you're asking someone, well, I want to know, you know, where you're coming from, explain to me so that I can better understand your point of view. Most of us mentally, as we're hearing their point of view explained, are, you know, mentally starting to tally up, okay, here's how I'm going to counter that, here's how I'm going to answer that. We're, in other words, we're mentally setting up the debate and arguing it in our minds rather than actually listening sympathetically. Now, Paul says you don't have to read every opposing viewpoint, but when you find one that seems to be clear and thoughtful, stop and check it out. More than that, try to find some good in it. Stay open and reject the them versus us imagery. Because he says what matters is the truth, not who says it. Number two, he recommends keep friends who don't believe the same as you. Make sure you spend quality time with people who don't share your views. And make those people your friends. And I mean actual friends. People that you come to care about. I've done this inadvertently in my life. It wasn't like I said, oh, let's see, I need a Jewish friend who will, you know, help me in, in, in matters, you know, all matters Jewish. No. Just be open to people. And and if, if there's someone who has a differing point of view, there's this thing called, um, it's called acceptance without conformity. And it's the same reason that, uh, you know, we may wear a different brand of shoes than our friend does. Because that's their choice. And it's okay. And I can accept the fact that, okay, he likes Crocs, whatever. But that doesn't mean I have to conform in order to be his friend. All right, moving on. Number three, have someone to try your ideas upon. Now, this one's probably the most important of all. Paul says it would be ideal to have one person who's highly competent but who doesn't entirely agree with you, then bounce critical ideas off this person. But he says such people tend to be busy, so you should probably ask for their thoughts for only the most important things. But he says such a person can be hard to find, but if you do find one, hold on to them. And a good friend will tell you not what you want to hear, but what, uh, what you need to hear. But Paul Rosenberg says beyond all that, Being well-rounded is vital. People who get rigid have this little nagging voice somewhere in the back of their minds testifying that something is wrong. And he says you don't want to carry that with you for life. On top of that, your family will be damaged by inflexibility of character, which is what you'll get by holding your opinions above examination and change. 
Likewise, your effectiveness in cooperative ventures, everything from business to your local little league, will suffer. He says we need to recognize people as they are, not as they line up with our beliefs. So using those three tools of stay warm to the opposite view, keep friends who don't believe the same as you, and have someone to try your ideas upon. Those are three tools you can use to become a more well-rounded person, which is dramatically to your benefit. Now, this is not all about, you know, philosophizing, right? It's not all just, just you know, we'll, we'll grow our beards long and gray, and then as we stroke our beards and, yes, think about the questions of the day. Some of it's just simply a matter of realizing you can't isolate in, in an ideological echo chamber. And the people who do, or the people who insist that everybody else, you know, adapt to their point of view, I mean, can we just be honest? They're, they're some of the most miserable people you're going to ever run into. I, t- I tend to think of the pronoun gang, you know, and alphabet gang when, when, I, when I hear that kind of mentality, although it's, it's certainly not limited to the political left. It's just that uh, right now it seems like the woke are a little more vocal about these kind of things. Look, you will all speak this way. You will all address me with my proper gender and whatnot. There's a lot to be said for having friends who disagree or who at least believe differently than you. And to me, the coolest thing is that you can still be friends and not have to change each other's minds in order for that to happen. So, great commentary from Paul Rosenberg. I'll have a link to that in today's show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. It's February 5th, 2024. When we come back from our break here in a few moments, I want to talk about, uh, well, the, the press right now in, in America is, is kind of losing its lunch. And the reason they're freaking out is because uh, one Tucker Carlson, yes, the one who uh, was unfortunately cast out from Fox News, but uh, has since gone his own way. Tucker's in uh, Russia. Remember, he wanted to interview Putin here, oh, I guess it was about five, six months ago. He had indicated that he he had asked for permission from the U.S. State Department, and they were like, absolutely not. The U.S. government did not want him talking to the Russian president. Uh, looks like he's going to get his interview with Vladimir Putin. Talk about some of the possibilities that uh, that presents, as well as why the American uh, press is having a meltdown over uh, Tucker's interview. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, so it's a, it's a pretty big deal right now that uh, Tucker Carlson is in Moscow. Yes, as in Russia. Somebody somebody sent a picture out. Oh, look, here's, here's, here's Tucker sitting at the Bolshoi Theater. <laughs> and I guess this is, in, in the world that we live in, this is just proof positive that uh, Tucker is nothing more than a Russian bot. And, and I, I guess presumably anybody who questions whatever uh, the current U.S. regime is saying is, is likewise going to get those accusations. But uh, Monica Showalter, writing for AmericanThinker.com, talks about how Tucker Carlson goes to Moscow and the left has a cow. Monica says, Tucker Carlson is a longtime opinion journalist 
Journalists go places and talk to people to see for themselves all sides of an issue. But that somehow escapes the neocon and swamp left, which has been having an absolute cow since uh, Tucker Carlson departed for Moscow to talk with Russia's president, Vladimir Putin. And here are, here are a couple of tweets that kind of back this up. Ex-Congressman Adam Kissinger, you can guess what, uh, what little Adam has to say. Yes, Tucker is a traitor. He's a traitor. <laughs> Bill Crystal, the greatest of the neocons, says Tucker shouldn't be allowed to return to the U.S. Now, if that's so odd, can I just ask why? Why did they praise Barbara Walters when she traveled to Russia to interview Putin? Interesting. The media is in panic mode because they're losing control of the narrative. Oh, and, you know, just so you'll know, apparently the Ukrainian government has condemned Tucker Carlson for his planned interview with Putin. Let that one sink in for a second. Zelensky actually thinks Ukraine has the right to interfere with U.S. journalists, journalists rather doing their job. Uh, This is, of course, after U.S. journalist Gonzalo Lira died in Ukrainian custody just about a month ago. Pretty crazy stuff. Here's a, here's another, this is from a Ukrainian uh, poster. I assume it's a Ukrainian. Uh, they've got the flag in their, in their bio there. Tucker interviewing Putin. It'll be like Goebbels or Goebbels interviewing Jack the Ripper. Post-truth, post-decency, post-reason. I don't know of anybody who is confident that they are standing on the side of truth who would be that afraid of Tucker talking to Putin. But, you know, maybe maybe the stakes are higher than even I realize. Here's Alexander Vindman. Yes, that one. The one who started the whole Russiagate scandal against, against uh, Trump. Tucker Carlson is aiding and abetting the enemy, the same enemy that threatens us with nuclear weapons, interferes in our elections, and allies with Iran, North Korea, and Hamas. This is who Tucker courts. I'm sorry, this is just hysteria. So what kind of lunacy is this, asks Monica Showalter. All he wants to do is talk to the guy, ask questions, find out how Putin thinks. It's a reasonable endeavor, given the blackouts of news, of, of news coverage from Russia, the shutoff of travel, the shutdown of most diplomatic relations, and the double blackout very few people knowing the Russian language to start with here in the States. In other words, Russia is so isolated and such an interesting story that anyone who can go there and get any kind of perspective ought to be praised for doing so. Yes, it's dangerous. Carlson could get arrested as that poor Wall Street Journal correspondent was, but somebody needs to try. So many of these swamp parties, all of which have interest in big, bigger, and biggest aid packages for Ukraine and their consultant contracts, wants to shut off free journalistic inquiry. And Monica Showalter says that's nothing short of outrageous. Apparently, the Biden White House even sicked the National Security Council onto Carlson the first time he tried to interview Putin, invading his emails and text messages and leaking them to the press. It's a disgusting abuse of power. Now, for the record, says Monica Showalter, Putin is a normal guy. We've known him for years. He's never been a problem to us, and there were so many things we could have worked with him on and didn't. He's not the Minotaur. 
He's not nine feet tall. The Swampies put such a mythical status on him when, in fact, he's probably someone we should have been talking to years ago because we certainly could have done business with him. Pull him westward so he won't have to move eastward. It's such a simple thing to try for. But the Sorosy bunch and the Russia haters have always had the upper hand. Then Ukraine happened and all hell broke loose. So is it really the catastrophe the Swampies claim if Carlson goes to Moscow to talk to Putin? Well, Monica Showalter says, I think we know the answer to that one. One voice of reason comes from an unexpected source. That would be non-swamp outsider president, uh, presidential candidate Robert Kennedy Jr., who has defended Tucker's visit. He says, the legacy media is in shambles because we've caught on to their lies and propaganda. Tucker Carlson has every right to interview Putin. And Bobby Kennedy Jr. says, we need more transparency instead of less. It used to be understood that journalists would interview world leaders, even those with whom we were at odds. That's a good point. Speaking of propaganda, you got to wonder, what are they so afraid of? What is it that's so scary that, uh, that we, we can't even begin to, to consider another point of view? I was reading a comment yesterday. This was from AR15.com. And I, I don't know the individual who posted this, so I can't really give proper attribution. But here's what they said. They said, as we move forward in 2024 and reflect upon 2020, it's prudent to take into account what we've learned about the modern era of propaganda. Of course, the old guard uses the term propaganda to describe information intended to make you believe or disbelieve something. The idea is that the source is attempting to draw your mind to their side, but that's no longer a comprehensive or adequate understanding. What we're currently seeing is that the powers capable of widespread information release have become so pro- so polarized rather, that propaganda in the old form is no longer really necessary. This has bred the new age of information warfare. This new era of propaganda no longer seeks seeks you to believe a certain way. In other words, they're not giving you the talking points of what to think of. And here's the reason. We are now in the age of information chaos. Propagandists have learned that it's much easier to cause confusion, mistrust, disillusionment than it is to convince you of what the truth is. So the exact same sources of intel and counterintel are now blasting out messaging on both sides of the aisle. So you don't know what to trust. Governments have become master manipulators of your emotions. 99% of people are driven by fear, and they will find your, your sweet spot. Now they go on to say, in 2024, we should ask ourselves the important questions. And these are questions like, Who can I really trust? Are my principal beliefs grounded? I like this last one. What kind of American am I? (laughs) That's a a line from the new movie, Civil War. And uh, I expect we're going to be hearing that uh, probably more in the days ahead than, than we really would like to hear. But I love those questions as far as who can I really trust? Are my principled beliefs grounded? In other words, have I actually tested out those beliefs? Have I actually pushed back on them to see if, you know, they yield or if they will will hold firm? 
I know it's not fun. And and the reason it's not fun is because you you run the risk that you might run into something that, well, gee, I thought this always held water, and suddenly you find out it doesn't. And that's disconcerting because now you're questioning, well, what else have I missed or what else have I uh, misunderstood that's kept me in the dark? I know, it's it's... It's hard work, not only to be informed and to be rooted in reality, but it's hard work to stick with your principles when everything around you is in a state of information chaos. By the way, I love the observation that it's it's just easier to just throw so much confusion and mistrust and disillusionment out there to where nobody knows what to believe. This is why I'm adamant about uh, the solution is find the sources of light. That's that's how you find truth. This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Whoa, there we go. <laughs> I guess you got to push the uh, volume control the other direction. Not to uh, maximum volume. Anyway, welcome back to the show. I was thinking back to uh, one of the more more disturbing developments in 2020. And there was a lot of disturbing developments that took place that year. But one of the more disturbing ones was as the lockdowns proceeded, you had certain areas that really took the lockdown serious to the point where I think it was Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer banned purchasing anything but essential supplies, meaning you couldn't even buy gardening supplies at the hardware store. And I think for a lot of us, uh, you know, on the on the preparedness side, that was like, whoa, that's a huge red flag. Why shouldn't people be able to have the supplies or tools that they need to, for instance, grow more of their own food? And I want to share with you an article from Brandon Smith. This is from alt-market.us. He gets right to the point. Globalists will use carbon controls to stop you from growing your own food. I don't know if you have heard, you know, the talk of uh, the the climate uh, change activists or the climate uh, crisis activists, but uh, they are definitely taking aim at farmers. Well, we got to do something. These farmers are killing our planet. Well, if we can just get them to quit growing food, everything will be great. Wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, people who aren't so familiar with the whole food supply chain will will probably think, well, what what would we do instead? No, that bowl of bugs is not going to get eaten. Here's how Brandon Smith puts it. He says, in early 2020, in the midst of the COVID lockdowns, blue states run by leftist governors pursued mandates with extreme prejudice. Now, he says, in red states like Montana, after the first month or two, most of us simply ignored the restrictions and went on with life as usual. It was clear that COVID was not the threat federal authorities made it out to be. However, in states like Michigan, the vice was squeezed tighter and tighter under the direction of shady leaders like Gretchen Whitmer. Whitmer used COVID as an opportunity to institute some bizarre limitations on the public, including a mandate barring larger stores from selling seeds and garden supplies to customers. If you're not buying food or medicine or other essential items, you should not be going to the store. Whitmer said when announcing her order. Now, of course, the governor was fine with purchases of lottery tickets and liquor, but not gardening tools and seeds. Now, Brandon points out, Whitmer never gave a logical reason why she targeted garden supplies. 
but most people in the preparedness community understood very well what this was about. This was a beta test for wider restrictions on food independence. There was widespread rhetoric in the media throughout 2020 attacking anyone stockpiling necessities as hoarders. Now they were going after people planning ahead and trying to grow their own food. The establishment did not want people to store or produce a personal food supply. Now he says another prospect that was being openly discussed among globalists was the idea that lockdowns were helpful in ways beyond stopping the spread of COVID. Which, if you think about it, they were actually useless in stopping the spread of COVID. But these uh, globalists suggested that the measures could be effective in preventing global carbon emissions and saving the world from climate change. In fact, the idea of climate lockdowns began to spread. Now, the corporate media has since lied about the existence of the climate lockdown agenda, but articles and white papers extolling the virtues of shutting down the planet in the name of climate change are easy to find and read. The globalists and their academic defenders wanted permanent lockdowns or rolling lockdowns every couple of months, shutting down most human activity and travel outside of basic production. Brandon says, I've argued in the past that what Whitmer was doing in Michigan was part of this agenda, that her garden supply ban was part of a wider goal that had nothing to do with public health safety and everything to do with stopping people from prepping. The COVID controls were only meant to be a precursor to carbon controls. Well, he says this past week, we've seen more confirmation of this as a study out of the University of Michigan claims that homegrown foods produce five times more carbon emissions than industrial farming methods. Okay, I'll admit that's, that's a new slant, but I'd have to ask how exactly. In other words, private gardens could be considered a threat to the environment. Now, the Telegraph and other corporate platforms have jumped on the story, and Brandon says, I think that's cause for concern. He says, this study includes the analysis of various gardens from individual family plots to urban and community plots and claims that garden infrastructure for such individual plots like raised beds contribute far greater carbon pollution than large-scale farming. That study seems to ignore the fact that raised beds are more efficient and grow more food in a smaller space, but he says, I doubt they really care to take these things into consideration. Now, the average person might be confused by this and assume the opposite is true. Wouldn't growing foods at home be better for the environment? Well, not if your funding relies on portraying independent food supplies as bad for the planet. See, the studies bankrolled by a host of international groups, including the European Union's Horizon Program, which lists 100 climate-neutral and smart cities by 2030 as one of its project goals. These 100 cities are then supposed to act as flagship models for the eventual carbon agenda takeover of all cities by 2050. Now, such groups have billions of dollars at their disposal and focus most of that monetary firepower on climate change research, in other words, propaganda. Brandon asks, do I think that the Michigan study is rigged in favor of a predetermined outcome? Yeah, probably. When these studies are funded by globalist interests, their outcomes always seem to favor globalist goals. Isn't that strange? The study itself does not necessarily argue that people should stop gardening, but it does push the narrative that carbon controls are necessary, even at an individual level. Now, Brandon Smith says the Michigan report might seem like a meaningless footnote. However, as we witnessed last year with a study from the Consumer Product Safety Commission on natural gas appliances, 
These little and obscure studies are often used to justify large-scale government interventions into people's daily lives. The CPSC study inspired months of debates from Democrats in the U.S. demanding that gas appliances, including stoves, be banned because they might cause health side effects, specifically in children. Now, of course, it turns out the study had no concrete basis for this claim. Leftists and globalists don't care about protecting your health. They care about how these studies can be used to fearmonger, thus increasing their power. In other words, if you can rig the science, you can rig the laws. Now, he points out, we saw something similar to this in a U.N. study in 2006, which claimed that meat production contributed to nearly 20% of all carbon emissions and was worse for the environment than transportation. Now, of course, that study was exposed in 2010 as flawed or fraudulent, but for years, media and globalist organizations used its false conclusions as a springboard to demand limitations and bans on meat production in the name of saving the client, climate. rather. So if you think the war on farming is raging right now in Europe, just intended only to, infect, to affect industrial farms, Brandon Smith says, think again. The establishment is going to try to use the man-made climate change lie to dictate all food production right down to your unassuming backyard garden. And he says, and they won't limit their efforts to the EU. They will come after American farms with the same restrictions. This is what the globalist net zero programs in 15-minute cities are all about. They're based on the idea that all human activity needs to be monitored and managed. And they'll say it's for the good of the planet, but the systems they want to put in place from 2030 to 2050 sound like a new digital feudalism, a society where bureaucracies track and trace and micromanage every aspect of your life. The elites benefit greatly while never proving that carbon emissions are a danger to anyone. And then he gets right to the, to the heart of the matter here. So why the obsessive focus on food? You already know the answer, right? Because if people have their own food, then they might be more willing to rebel against further mandates. It's really that simple. The end game is obvious, says Brandon Smith. Control the food, and you control the world. Do it in the name of saving the planet. A lot of people will even thank you as you starve them. Now, I get it. This uh, oh, that sounds kind of scary, Brian. You're, you're scaring the, the kids here by this kind of language. I think it's really important, though, that we, we take to heart... The bigger issue here, which is, yes, in the name of carbon controls, even your ability to produce your own food is, is going to be on the table. I was talking with a good friend, Jared, lives down in the Salt Lake area. Jared is, is just one of the hardest working, most tireless defenders of freedom that I know. And he made a comment the other day that, that really kind of stuck with me because he says, you know, there's going to come a time where um, all the people who are so obsessed about, is my lawn green enough? Is it perfect enough? Is it manicured enough? He says, I predict people are going to be tearing up their lawns and planting gardens. And I know some people would recoil in horror. Oh, my gosh, gardens instead of lawns. Why, that would be terrible. Would it, though? If you were able to produce more of the food that you ate... That would be a terrible thing. But then again, I'm looking at this from a self-sufficiency and freedom standpoint and not so much from a am I destroying the planet standpoint. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, I have been all over the place today, and frankly, I kind of like it that way. But I do want to thank my sponsors, including, uh, uh, I especially want to thank Ironsight Brewing Company. This is ironsightbc.com. This is a this is a subscription coffee company. So if you're a coffee drinker and you really value a good cup of joe, you should talk to my friend John Harvey and his Ironsight Brewing Company. From the roaster to your cup in less than 72 hours, I appreciate him being a sponsor of the program. Also tmcpnation.com, lifesavingfood.com and quiltandso.com. Two articles I'd like to share with you. I'm going to jump right to the article of the day. This is a pretty lengthy, fairly scholarly, actually it is a scholarly article from Ryan McMakin from the uh, Mises Institute. But it's a short history of the the right to self-determination. Now you don't hear that term very often. But uh, when it comes to self-determination, that is the reason that uh, the colonies seceded from Great Britain in the Revolutionary War. If you read the uh, Declaration of Independence, it lays out the case for why why we should be able to seek self-determination. I know this is an unpopular take, but uh, the South was seeking self-determination when they separated from the North and left the Union. In fact, I have a quote here from Ludwig von Mises, who took a very strict, expansive view in favor of secession. Specifically, Ryan McMakin says, Mises noted that respect for the right of self-determination required extant states to allow the separation of new polities seeking secession. This is how he put it. The right of self-determination in regard to the question of membership in a state thus means whenever the inhabitants of a particular territory whether it be a single village, a whole district, or a series of adjacent districts, make it known by a freely conducted plebiscite that they no longer wish to remain united to the state to which they belong at the time, but wish either to form an independent state or to attach themselves to some other state, their wishes are to be respected and complied with. And from here, Ryan McMakin goes on to talk about where does Mises get this idea of self-determination. He didn't invent the idea, of course, but at the time was probably drawing upon the currents of thought alive and well in Europe in the late 19th, early 20th centuries. And so from here, they talk about the origins in the American Revolution. He talks about how the idea spreads to Europe, the United Nations and self-determination. And, and this is the best part. He gets to where it's an individual right, not a right of peoples. In other words, you've got to break it down to this is this is a right at the individual level. It's not just a collective right that, well, you gotta get all your neighbors to vote the same way if you want this to have any effect. I believe uh I, I'm trying to remember if it was Ryan or if it was Jeff Dice too, who talked about uh, secession begins at the personal level. By the way, if you haven't at least started seceding from, from the collapsing system, it's probably a good time to start thinking about that. It's really not that hard. In fact, we'll go into some detail here in a few moments on uh, one of the other reasons why it may be a good idea. But this is, uh, this is a great article. It's fairly lengthy, so you'll want to give yourself some time. But just uh, be grateful that the, fact, uh, the, the right rather of self-determination is recognized at all 
And then ask yourself some of the things you see playing out, this uh, impasse between the federal government and the state of Texas regarding that uh, Eagles Pass border crossing. Pretty interesting stuff. Part of the bigger picture here. So let's shift gears. One last thing I wanted to talk about. Um, okay, so the Super Bowl's coming up on Sunday. And if, if this is one of the things that brings you joy, I don't want to rain on your parade. I don't want to tell you you're a bad person. But I do want to ask, is it really conspiratorial to wonder about the incredible hold that sporting events like the Super Bowl have over the public? In fact, it, it kind of raises the question, are we witnessing the ultimate red herring in terms of distractions and entertainment and, and things that, that will keep us distracted from the globalist agenda. I get it. You know, some people, oh, global agenda, now you're talking pure conspiracy theory. But if you wanted to keep people absolutely passionate about something that really doesn't matter, could you do better than this NFL championship? This is my friend uh, Destry out of Cedar City, Utah. He he writes for ironcountynews.org. And I believe he writes under the moniker Liberty Advocate, but uh, my gosh, this guy's a great writer. And and there's a quote here that he shares from Marcus Tullius Cicero. You've heard the phrase bread and circuses, right? How it was used to keep people distracted. Listen to what Cicero had to say here. The evil was not in bread and cir- circuses per se, but in the willingness of the people to sell their rights as free men for full bellies and the excitement of the games which would serve to distract them from the other human hungers which bread and circuses can never appease. I know that's kind of a, that's a deep thought for this early in the week. But as my friend puts it here, the NBA and the NFL are tools for the global 1% elite to distract Americans from the true culprits of humanity's problems. As we're willing to sell our rights as free men for full bellies and for the excitement of games which would never serve to distract them from the other human hungers, which bread and circuses can never appease. Now, as sports are bread and circuses... It's kind of easy to see, right? They're owned and they benefit to the global 1%. So it's no wonder the sports entertainment industry is rigged as we follow the money and the red herrings. Now, from here, he goes into talking about how the red herring fallacy is an attempt to mislead or distract from the relevant topic. Look, I again, I don't want to take away... Any fun that you have planned, I don't want you sitting there watching the game going, my gosh, this is just a huge psyop. It's a big distraction. I know there's the whole Taylor Swift thing. and Oh, yeah, Taylor Swift is a big psyop and whatnot. But you have to admit, as far as getting people's attention and holding people's attention, the entertainment industry and the sports entertainment complex has done a remarkable job. Look at where everybody's attention goes. Look at the, the time and effort that they're willing to, to expend in order to pursue their favorite teams and, you know, follow them to the championship. I remember seeing the picture some years ago of a bunch of football fans out there in freezing weather, snow call, you know, falling on them. 
but there they are stripped to the waist, painted with their team colors, you know, wearing, you know, the headgear that shows we are proud supporters of this team and, you know, just absolutely passionate, willing to suffer, willing to get out there and, you know, roar into the nighttime, you know, their support. And the, the caption under that picture said, now imagine if people could get this motivated about things that actually matter. Now, I know it's a subjective term. Okay, well, what actually matters to me not actually may not actually matter to you. But going back to an earlier topic here, if you're having trouble putting food on the table, how important is the latest sports ball event going to be? Probably not as important as you know, quieting those hunger pangs or, you know, comforting those kids who are are hungry. Look, I'm not wishing for anything bad to happen. I'm just saying that uh, we rob ourselves of opportunities to get out there and bond with family and to, we, we rob ourselves of opportunities to live the good life because of something shiny that's waved in front of us. I'm going to have more to talk about this uh, later in the week, more to say about this rather in later on in the week. But as you watch the buildup, again, I'm not telling you try not to have too much fun, but ask yourself, if I was trying to keep a large population of people, hundreds of millions of people occupied, fixated, focused on something which really doesn't matter in terms of moving the needle one way or the other. What would I do differently than the way that uh, this, this Super Bowl is being rolled out? And my goal here isn't to, to make sure that uh, you never enjoy another football game in your life. I'm encouraging you to have the awareness when someone is trying to distract you, when someone is trying to manipulate you. Or at least keep your attention from noticing the stuff that does matter. That's part of being a well-rounded person, by the way. A goal I believe we uh, addressed a little earlier in the program today. Let's be that well-rounded person. Let's be the one who isn't so easily distracted and doesn't sell out for the bread and circuses. This is The Brian Hyde Show.